God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our sermon this last Sunday of Advent, this last Sunday, as we contemplate what it means to properly prepare ourselves for Christ to come. As you heard me say at, at the beginning of the service, we, we know that Christ will come again as we confessed in the creed. We know that we need to prepare, that we need to be doing things that strengthen our faith, like receiving the sacrament, that this last Sunday of Advent we remember Christ has not left us, but comes to us, even now. So with that in mind, we remember God keeps his promises. And in our Old Testament reading, that's the text for the sermon this morning, in 2 Samuel 7, God gives David three promises to believe in, that in the life of David we see our own life, but most especially we see Christ, who is our good shepherd. Sorry, this just, this doesn't feel right. Jesus, Jesus is out of place, and uh, this was from the kids program, so it's throwing me off, so sorry. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Now, now I'm balanced. I've got Jesus by my side, nothing can go wrong. Today we hear from Matthew that when God comes to Mary and the angel Gabriel, it's the fulfillment of an 800-year-old promise. That in 2 Samuel, when God came to David through Nathan, God gave him three promises. And consider this, these promises that God gave to David, David would never see them. David is a model for us in that he lives by faith. The three promises that God gave David, I will make for you a great name. I will appoint a place for my people Israel for them to dwell and to be bothered no more. And finally, the third promise the Lord will make your house great. The Lord will build for you a house. So we see that in Christ Jesus, all three of these promises are fulfilled, not only for David's sake, but also for you to put yourself in David's place. For you to consider yourself one who's been given promises of God. You've been given those same promises in your baptism that he will make for you a great name. He appoints a place for you to dwell. And the Lord has made a great house. He has built a house for you. So the setting of 2 Samuel is this, this teaching, this picture of God dwelling in a tent. God would go with his people Israel and he would meet Moses in the tent of meeting. That, that this dwelling in the tent, that God gave his people a promise that he would be with them. But when God comes to David and sort of rebukes him today, it's not just so God can rebuke David and tell him how wrong he is to want to try to build a house of cedar for the Lord. But God rebukes David so that he may give him these three promises. Because at first glance, it might seem that God's a little upset 
that David would suggest he build an extravagant house for God. You, you heard that if you were listening to the reading in Samuel, God's, David said, I live in a house of cedar, but the Lord dwells in a tent made of animal skins. And God comes and says, David, no, you are not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. And it might seem that God's a little upset that David would suggest this, but I don't think that's the case. Because you see, God did instruct Moses to build the tent of meeting, because it is there that God wanted to be found. It is there that God wanted his people to know that he is with them. A temporary structure, this tent, and when you hear the word tent, that's exactly what it was, a tent made of animal skins. A temporary structure where God would meet with Moses, and this structure could be packed up just like you would pack up a family tent when you go camping. Whenever Moses would go into the tent of meeting to ask God of something, the Lord would come down at this tent of meeting, but he would also come down in the pillar of smoke. You remember that led the people of Israel. That pillar of smoke would come down and rest at the door so nobody could go in. Only Moses was allowed. The cloud would hide God. The tent was not only mobile to show that God would be with his people wherever they went, but it was also to hide God. Because you remember that passage, no one can see God and live. But why a tent? Why have a place to meet God? Couldn't the Israelites just say, well, God is everywhere. Or I can just find God in my heart. Or you can't put God in a box, much less a tent. So why need a tent? Because God desires to be with his people. God desires to be with his people in tangible ways so that we might constantly prepare to meet him. That God desires to be with his people so that he can give them a promise of forgiveness, a promise that he will never leave them. This tent of meeting showed that God's presence would be with his people wherever they went as if they trusted in him, if they believed in the promise that he would be with them, if they fled their sinful desires to not worship false gods, to not paste over the lies that the devil teaches. The temporary nature of this tent was a reminder that they were pilgrims, that not only was God with them, but that they had a place that they were going. They were, not to be, they were not to set up a permanent residence just anywhere, but God had given them a promised land that they had a destination. And every time they saw that tent, it was a reminder, this is not where we, this is not our final destination. And consider that the destination was not a place. But all along, as we hear in the promises today, the destination is a man. The destination where God's people are to be planted was not a city, it's not a land, but a man. It is the king of kings. It is Jesus. 
Because consider this, what was the tent made of? The place where, where God would, would dwell and be with his people, the tent was made of animal flesh. It was made of skin, the flesh of animals, and it is under this flesh, this tent, that God put his presence So now, today in our gospel reading, we hear the fulfillment of this promise. We hear Mary, and under her flesh, the presence of God would come to be flesh and blood. That God would dwell in the tent of flesh, that God himself would become man. That the temporary, of the, the temporary nature of the tent of meeting that David thought was kind of low rent for the presence of God, it was actually leading God's people not to an earthly destination, but a man. And if you miss the fact that the tent was made in flesh, you won't see it. You might be mistaken. You might be like David and think, well, that's, that's kind of a pitiful place for God. Because like David, sometimes we too look down on the humble things of our flesh. We too sometimes despise the very things that make us human. Even our world now, our world looks with disdain on children, thinking that kids are just an obstruction to me getting the things in life that I want. Abortion advocates would set themselves as judges over life and death because they don't want to be inconvenienced. And we maybe don't murder people because we don't, we don't go out and kill somebody with our hands. But we certainly break the fifth commandment when we grumble at having to help people. When we have to humble ourselves and help others when we can't be bothered to actually put somebody else's needs before our own. Even people we don't like, even those who they may hurt us, Jesus says to repay evil with good. And consider this, there's no more humble place than the cross. That God doesn't hide himself on the cross But it is here that he is fully revealed. It is here that there is no cloud covering God, but God opens up his body. He shows you his heart. Because there God was lifted up on the cross as as Moses lifted up the snake. That there on the cross, Jesus is humbled to the point of death. That he gives his life so you may have life. There on the cross, the people were scandalized to see the humanity of God, that God would allow himself to be put to death. They were scandalized. But this, dear Christian, is for you. For him to raise us up, taking our sins away, purifying our flesh, Even our reluctance to be human, even our reluctance to consider the humanity of one another, to have needs, the need to be taken care of, 
It was on the cross that Christ Jesus gave his life for your needs. I mean, even today, who would go to church twice in one day? The humanity. Exactly. Because we are in need of a human God who saves us, who gives his life for us and would meet us. Not in the tent of meeting, but the tent of the flesh of Jesus. So that we would be born again. So that he would be born in us. That he would place himself in our hearts. That he would humble himself to put him under our flesh and blood. To live in you. The world, like David, and even we Christians, we need to be reminded of the presence of God in the tent of meeting and how David thought it was kind of not so great. We need to be reminded to not think so lowly of the sacrament of the altar, for it is here in humble means where God promises to dwell with his people, not hidden in a pillar of smoke, but in bread and wine, where he comes in his flesh and blood to dwell in us, David thought God's presence in a humble place was not good enough. God does rebuke David for this, but God uses his rebuke to lead David and us to confess where God promises to be. Because when David doubted the goodness of God dwelling in the tent, as I mentioned, God rebuked him, but he didn't leave him there. God gave him those three promises to never leave him. And God promises to never leave us. And if you heard it, if you heard how God described what he did for David, you hear Jesus. You see, God says, David, I moved you from following sheep, from being a shepherd to a king. Because David believed and trusted in God's mercy. God moved David from being a humble shepherd to being the most celebrated king in the history of all God's people. And consider the direction of David at God moving him. Humble shepherd, celebrated king. This is the opposite direction of Jesus. Jesus was the king in heaven, in the royal, co- in the royal court, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus humbles himself to be a shepherd who would give his life for his sheep. That he doesn't follow his sheep, but he leads us in the paths of righteousness. So that when Christ finishes his work on the cross, he finds us poor, lost, sinful sheep. He lifts us up by his forgiveness. He places us in the royal court with him. This isn't just at your baptism, But daily, he picks you up. He carries you as a shepherd, tends his sheep. So that you may follow in the footsteps, not only of your Savior, but also David. That we may follow the footsteps of all the saints who've gone before us. That we don't despise humbling ourselves for others. That you would not look down with disdain on the things that make you human that you would not look down on being taken care of, 
but that you would see the glory in taking care of one another. So in baptism, we see these three promises come true for you. In baptism, you are given a great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have rest from all your enemies in Christ Jesus. And finally, now you may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because you see the promises that God gave David are also promises that he gives to you in Christ. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.